This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm joined as ever by David Hughes. Dave, how's things? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you, mate. Not too bad. Better than things on the Liverpool front. <laughs> yeah, well, it feels like it couldn't be much worse at the moment. Uh, certainly in the context of the last two or three years, it feels a, a very bizarre time um, for Liverpool. And not one that we're, we're really used to, especially on this show, because you know, predominantly while the show's been going, it's uh, just been talking about different wins against different opponents each week, hasn't it? Uh, and obviously since the turn of the year, it's been a, a little bit different. Yeah, well, before we get into all that sort of stuff, let's focus on what matters first. Uh, how's the wig? Oh, long, mate. Long. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm fighting off uh, wearing a cap because, weirdly, Paul Ghost always seems to give me stick every time uh, a video gets released on the Echo channels of me with a cap on, uh, which I don't know why he does that, so I'll have to get him for that next time I see him. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm holding on, mate. You know, I'm definitely looking for the barbers on the black market if anyone wants to get in touch. <laughs> me, uh, me ass at the bottom of the picture there, but yeah, uh, you haven't. I feel like you haven't spoken about yours that much. Yours, uh, yours are slowly getting there, but I think you had a cut before me, uh, later than me, didn't you? I think I'm going down the route of Curtis Jones or something like that. To be <laughs> if I could get away with a cap, I'd wear it, but I, I just look stupid with them. Some people look like Jurgen Klopp and look the business, but not me. Um, anyway, let's get on to the football. Yeah. So this week we're going to talk about obviously what happened against Manchester City. Obviously, going to hopefully going to provide a bit of context um, and maybe try to sum up Liverpool's current situation really. And then after that, we're going to talk about the match on the weekend. Doesn't really get any easier. We're going to look ahead to Leicester City. So first of all, the game at Anfield. Um, I was hoping this podcast to get put put back a few months. To be honest, because this. Uh, this one hit. Wow. It's, not, it's not a nice feeling getting beat by by quite a few goals, and it's a it's an unusual feeling as a Liverpool fan, of course. Um, but Dave, you know, general thoughts on the game, and be kind. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, um, yeah, I thought it was a fairly in, in typical kind of Liverpool City fashion. I thought it was quite a conservative start by both teams, um, but. City looked fairly sharp in possession over those first 20 minutes, albeit without really creating anything. Um, well, nothing really. Um, neither team was, I'd say, pre- pressing too aggressively. Uh, well, if they did press, you know, that first line was most of the time bypassed and then, team, and then they kind of sat in then. And I think that was maybe a reason why, you know, there wasn't that many chances in the first half. But the pool, I thought, really kind of grew into it in the first half. And if you split the first half into two, I thought the second half of the first, you know, Liverpool were arguably on top. I thought they looked a little bit sharp with the passing, with the pressing. And um, if you have a look at that, just double check. Yeah, the last, just going into the last 15 minutes of the half, Liverpool had four shots. Uh, the PPDA really peaked in that period as well. So they were pressing a little bit more. I do think they won a few possession turnovers in the city half. Um, yeah, so, you know, Fairly balanced, I'd say, in the first half. Uh, and then second half, the goal gets conceded. Um, I know, obviously, Liverpool pull one back through a penalty, but I must say, I uh, of the two teams, I might have said this to you after the game, I did feel like, of the two, if I expected one team to go and win it, I did feel like City to me. Um, and obviously, they had a, a fair bit of luck in the way it, it, it panned out, but, but they did. I mean... I had some issues at the time with with the fallout because I, I I think particularly you know the reactions after the game I I don't I know people some people can't help you know it's the emotions of the game and stuff like that but I don't like um, opinions that change with the wind and, and I feel like from my perspective at least I feel like for for seventy minutes of the contest Liverpool and City were were pretty well matched um, obviously both teams benefited from a penalty. If you remove those two penalties, there's virtually very little in it in terms of um, you know, chances to put the ball in the net and all that sort of stuff. If you look at the race map, Dave, 
the expected mm. goals timeline. It's a it's a little bit difficult to grasp because of um you know, because of the penalty bounces, but I think if you'd have moved the penalties around the hour mark, seventeen minute mark and stuff and stuff, I don't think either team uh, would have generated above above a single expected goal. Um, you know, above above one. Um, I think it was quite a tight game. If you look at the, the shot count by the end of the game, both teams only managed to actually muster seven seven attempts on goal. So seven attempts on goal each. The possession numbers were fairly even. Liverpool actually ended up posting higher numbers, but we'll get to that. Um, and I just I just felt like for 17 minutes, Liverpool weren't great. But I don't particularly think City were either. I don't think you would have suggested that one team's running away with the league if you looked at that 17-minute period. And then the mistakes happen. And I think those mistakes decide games. You know, I've said a few times on this podcast, you're only as good as your players. And if Liverpool are only as good as Alisson, then Liverpool are a really good team. But I think what I'm getting at with you're only as good as your players is, you know, players decide games and specifically the players at, at both business ends of the field in, in between the sticks and up front. And Alisson, you know, for whatever reason, just had a, an absolutely nightmare five-minute period whereby either side of the game. And I think I, I, I deliberately tried after the game to not let that final 20-minute period shape my perspective on on what happened. Because for me, it was a competitive, fairly even 70-minute period that was decided at the very end by a few moments of madness. Mm. Yeah, it's a good point on Alison. Um, you know, there's, there's the thing, isn't it? You can never truly... Uh, control or predict a football match because I said something similar to this on Twitter maybe last week you can never truly control every every aspect because ultimately it's played by humans isn't it and they're capable of doing kind of unforeseen bizarre acts um, which which happens with Alison. I must say just on that really quickly um, and thankfully I've got hours of footage where I talk about how, how, how much of an elite goalkeeper he is, so nobody's going to think this is a reactionary kind of statement or me writing them off, but uh, I do I feel, feel like... like you. Yeah, I feel like I saw these mistakes coming and I regret not bringing it up a few weeks ago um, because I think on more than one occasion he's looked very uh, complacent in possession or almost too calm and I don't know if it, if it comes from remember we were talking about Brighton last year where he comes out and makes uh, I'm sure it was him he comes out and makes a mistake where he kind of um, handballs at something he gets sent off um, mm. and in that game I think you know Liverpool were fairly comfortable and it, it was almost like it was a a want to contribute a little bit um, and obviously he he had that mistake and there hasn't really been that many since, but there was one at Leicester when he first signed where he overplayed and got dispossessed and, and Leicester scored. And I just felt like I was seeing this coming again a little bit in recent weeks where he just takes too many touches, is too compo- sorry, um, too confident, uh, inviting pressure on, confident he'll just turn away from an attack. And then, as I said, if, if someone's got the benefit of, I know you have, Josh, but if someone listening now has the benefit of, say, a White Scouts account or anything like that, maybe just watch his actions on the ball over the past few weeks and just see if you agree. I just felt like it was coming and I wasn't that surprised when it happened. Um, I'm not suddenly going to say he's a terrible keeper or, you know, he's, he's going to always do it. I don't think he is. I think there was just a little bit of complacency that caused the first and then, you know, that kind of had a domino effect for the, for the other mistakes, I guess. No, I think a lot of Liverpool fans probably would agree with you. I would certainly agree. I think, you know, generally, he's 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 clearly good on the ball, better than the average goalkeeper and stuff like that. But I think he he for some reason has a tendency to hesitate. I think is maybe the word, um, and dawdle a little bit when it comes to actually deciding what to do with the ball, whether to play it short, whether to hit it into the stands, whether to play it long, um maybe takes a few too many touches and stuff. And I think it, it maybe doesn't receive much of the spotlight because generally most opponents that Liverpool face, they don't really get to the point where they're pressurising the goalkeeper. Mm. So you don't you don't really see it too much. But 
I think, although he's decent with his feet, I think if I was an opposing coach, if I had obviously the makeup to do it in my team, I think I would close him down just just purely because he he does seem to have a bit of a tendency to, as I said, just hesitate a little bit and. I'm not really sure why he does it. I, I think maybe it does stem from a degree of authority, a degree of confidence and stuff like that. But there's been a few shaky moments. It's it's a little bit like him. It reminds me a little bit of when Liverpool had Mamadou Sacco in defence. Mm. Because Sacco was a player who was, was good with the ball, but was just sometimes, he just looked awkward with it to the extent where um, he didn't entirely fill you with confidence and you always felt he was on the verge of, making some kind of error, but he very rarely did. Alisson's a little bit similar, but in a game like this, you don't even want to take that chance, really. Mm. And City are one of the few teams that will get high enough high enough up, up the pitch to pressurise the keeper. And, um, yeah, that was one of those unfortunate moments that, honestly, it, it decides games. Football to always go in sport, and for, for your goalkeeper to go and do that inside the space of um, you know, five minutes put your 3-1 down and then City start playing it goals really do change games and what that must have done to the mental side of Liverpool compared to what it done to the mental side of City it's it's massive considering Liverpool's poor form at the minute and City are flying it's just absolutely had an absolute um what's the word just really shook up the pitch in terms of how mm. how players were thinking at the time and stuff so it's just one of them it, it's it's difficult to delve into further than that it's, yeah. I, I think, you know, Roy Keane started coming out with comments, Liverpool are bad champions and stuff like that. And, um, you know, they're not digging in, they're not fighting and stuff. But when one of your best players goes and gifts two goals away like that, and you know inside yourself that it's, it's just not what you need lately, you need the opposite to happen, really. You need a bit of luck on your side. It's I think it's just natural for your head to drop a little bit and, just a tough one to take in, in another bad moment. That's kind of summing up the season a little bit for Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree with that. The, the goals do very much kind of shape the narrative, don't they? Because uh, you look at that and you think 4-1, you're like, you know, City have gone and, and hammered Liverpool on their, on their own patch. But now, as we discussed really, it was, you know, it was, a, it was a first half that produced no goals and the second half that produced five and, and two of them come directly from... A mistake. Um, some people have tried to say maybe the first, Gundogan's first, was a mistake. I'm inclined to think you could nitpick at it, maybe. You know, it, could he? But if you actually watch the shot, I'm not really sure where he can parry it away whilst first and foremost focusing on just, you know, making sure the shot doesn't go in. Um, and then I, I don't know what you, what you think on the last. Do you think it was just an immense strike from Foden or do you think a, a more confidence? Alisson, who isn't maybe going through that psychological battle in his head after two mistakes, saves that because it's uh, it was one, it was a really good strike. But I also think you've got you're probably sitting, you've got so many things going through your head at that moment. You're still in the midst of a of a you know an intense game of football. You've just made two mistakes. Do, you know, do you potentially save that under different circumstances? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure on the folding one. I mean, I'm not. I feel like goalkeeper analysis is a completely different department, different expertise, yeah, really. And it's difficult to really criticize a goalkeeper without me ever playing in, in goal or ever dealing with actual, you know, even the numbers with goalkeepers, they're quite limited and stuff like that. So, but when looking at it, I think if his initial stance was a bit higher, if he was, if his posture was a bit more straight, I think the ball kind of just hits his upper body slash face sort of thing, and he ends up just, you know, pushing her over the bar sort of thing. But I think his stance was maybe a, a tiny bit low, plus you have to factor in the fact that Foden shoots, he takes a shot really early. I don't think mm. Alisson's expecting the shot to come. And obviously the power he gets on it, and he, and he finds the far top bin, basically. So it's, it's, it is a, a brilliant strike. I think if that, if Al, I think if Alisson faces that shot 10 times, I think he saves at least five. Um, but it's it's a difficult one to criticise him for. And I think one thing Klopp said after the game, which I think is important, this goalkeeper is, has saved us on on plenty of occasions. So, you know, we're not going to go in deep on the, on this one. This was a bad day. You know, it happens. But 
Allison is a top quality goalkeeper, and as I said, he's since he's been at Anfield, he's certainly delivered more points than he has cost us. And this is one of the few occasions, arguably the only one that I can think of really, whereby he's he's actually had a negative impact on the points that Liverpool might have got during the game. But other than that, he's you know we're lucky to have him, and hopefully he'll recover from this. I'm pretty sure he will. Like, yeah, yeah, that's it. I- it, it, you know, and it's not even in those key moments where you think about points saved as re, uh, yeah, points saved as a result of something that he does. I think it's just like if you compare what Liverpool had before, you know, the admin and Carrius, does that, that lack of confidence that just um, impacts the d- defenders' performance as well? And I think the performance of the team, and whilst Liverpool have been at this, you know, unbelievable level over the past couple of years, whilst he's been there. Um, He's been key to that. He's, you know, he's been one of the spines in the team, and the confidence that he kind of uh, transmits onto onto others makes them play better, in my opinion. Because you only have to look at other teams who have inferior goalkeepers, and you see the impact that has has on defensive performances and just you know all around kind of um, all around play. So yeah. He's a, it's definitely not something that you're going to go in on and start looking at as a as a potential problem. Um, it was just in the context of this game really frustrating and I think what you'll probably see is a little bit of a sharper version of Alisson in possession you know a bit of a learning curve from it and maybe taking less of those risks and not kind of prolonging time in possession um, moving it quicker and yeah I think there'll be a focus on that from from this game onwards now so uh, similar to reactions what we saw when he first come in and the, the mistake he made, made against Leicester I think basically from that point onwards he was he was perfect, but my recollection anyway, so I expect to see the same. Yeah, well, one final thing I'll say on this is, I think it's it's interesting, the absolute ripple effect that um, a big mistake made by a big player can, can have on, mm. on a team. Like, I think back to the, the last time I can think of a really big Liverpool player making a big error was Van Dijk against Villa. And obviously, what went and happened there, Liverpool ended up getting beat 7-2. And obviously, in this game, Alisson, another you know, part of your spine, another real pillar in the team, makes two errors. And um, it, it kind of just, it did have a big impact on the rest of the team in terms of heads dropping. And that, it takes quite a bit for that to happen. But I think it's, it is really insistent how these big players that who, who kind of get, get leaned on really throughout the season, if they start making errors, it really does... Um, impact the rest of the team and their confidence and how decisions get made and stuff like that. Everyone seems mm. to drop a level when, when one of the big players do this. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's that psychological aspect again that we, you know, we try and reference just as much as we do the numbers because um, it does it does play a huge thing. Uh, you know, have a huge impact on performance levels. And if you think it, as we alluded to early, it was a fairly it was a competitive game. Um, up until that point and you could just see a change in uh, when Liverpool start realising the task they've got ahead you know 2-1 they've got to score 2 to win it 3-1 they've got to score 2 just to get anything out of it where the City start thinking you know where this is potentially the league title um, so yeah it's um, it's just a reminder how important the psychological aspects of the game are One interesting Aspect that I wanted to touch on was um, I thought it was interesting. I'm not sure if it was entirely deliberate, but I wrote about it because it was it was a little bit weird. I thought Liverpool ended up dominating the ball. Um, City ended up playing a little bit more in transition, and I think if you look at the way Liverpool have struggled of late, it kind of has been against those teams that have allowed Liverpool to have the ball and. They've, they've counter-attacked, basically. Obviously, City played with Phil Foden up front um, for the majority of the fixture. And I thought they did kind of play on the break a little bit more. I'm not sure if it was just because of how the match played out or if it was intentional from Guardiola. But um, I just I just thought it was, it was different compared to past meetings. And I actually looked at the possession numbers, Dave. And since Guardiola came to City... And I think it was 2016. This was the lowest possession that City have posted in a Premier League game. 
mm. with the exception of the one time that they suffered a red card against Wolves. But with 11 men on the pitch, this is the lowest possession City have posted. 45% it was, which is a testament to them, considering 45% isn't that low. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm just curious that, you know, do you think this was kind of an intentional point with Guardiola knowing what Liverpool have been struggling to do lately? Or do you think it was yeah. just one of them to do with game state? No, no, I do think there was a ploy behind it. Um, because, you know, I alluded to it earlier that it felt to me like, you know, you're looking at two really aggressive pressing sides meeting each other. Um, and there was pressing moments. But uh, when I was, obviously, I had the full picture of the pitch in front of me. And when I was watching it, it did feel like when they did press on that first line, was broken. Uh, the idea was to quickly drop into shape um, and then almost happily just restrict the space. And you t- just to kind of reaffirm the point you're trying to make, um, City's PPDA in this game was 26.38, which is which is really high, you know, for, for City, um, whose average is normally 12.11. Um, so it's... It's well over, you know, twice as lax, I guess you'd call it, um, or t- twice as passive, um, which does kind of reaffirm that point that, you know, Liverpool's main issue, as we've said again and again, is the struggling to break teams down. We can't quite put our finger on what it is, but that's what that's the issue. They can't seem to break through teams when space is restricted and there's bodies between the ball and the opposition's goal. So obviously, it, it would make no sense, I think, for Guardiola to implement his usual game plan where it, it potentially leaves so much space in behind where Liverpool is still really dangerous. Um, so obviously, he's opted to do something a little bit more compact. And, you know, City have got so much pace on the, on the counter. You look at those 1v1s that can be created when the, it is turned over. Uh, Sterling versus Alexander-Arnold, which... You know, we we know ended up proving a bit of an issue. Phones really fast. Mares too. Um, so yeah, that, I, I assume that is the game plan. Reading between the lines. Yeah, I mean, it certainly worked. I think it's it's been a while since. Well, for me at least, it's, it's been a while since Liverpool scored any kind of goal in transition. It feels. I mean, I think actually we might have just scored one or two against Spurs. Um, but other than that, it feels like Liverpool's transition game is completely eradicated, and it's now just total possession football without maybe the the tools that we've had in the past two years to to break down those blocks. Like I think one of the crucial things that we've mentioned on this show a few times when you're facing these teams is just scoring first. And Liverpool haven't really managed to do that since Christmas. Um, obviously, it's a bit different against City. They're not really that type of team. But even in that game, Liverpool at no stage were leading. Um but just on what I've just said, since you know, since Christmas, one of the pieces I wrote today, uh, earlier in the week, on Liverpool's current predicament. Since Christmas Day, I'm not sure you're aware of this, but since Christmas Day, Liverpool are 14th in the Premier League table, mm. um, having accumulated the same number of points as Sheffield United. That that that, that is nine. So since Christmas, that's nearly, well, not not far off two months. Um, I'm not entirely sure how many games that includes. I'll, I'll double-check that once I finish speaking. But it's just, it's uh, it's unprecedented really, isn't it? And, you know, what what does the City result mean? What, what, what does Liverpool's current form mean? You know, what can we take from this now? Because we surely have to recalculate targets for the season and stuff. Yeah, I think um, it's it's beyond stating obvious now that I don't think Liverpool can win the Premier League. Um, I just I think we said there after after the Brighton game, but certainly now I think the gap's too much. If City were wavering, then you'd think there's still a chance because there's plenty of games still to go. But I just think City, uh, you found that kind of found that uh, form now, kind of the form that they were replicating a couple of seasons ago form that Liverpool have been producing but aren't at the moment so you are just thinking you know solidify place in the top four um, you know I know a fair few Liverpool fans who are nervous now maybe a few listening 
quite nervous as well. But for me personally, I still think top four is not only achieve, achievable, but but likely as well. Uh, I think once you once you bed in a couple of the new centre backs, maybe get midfielders playing in in positions and, and just rediscovering that kind of touch in front of goal and you know that fluidity in attack because Liverpool have the potential to just turn it on. You know, we saw in the two uh, two games away in London that um, when that confidence returns, they do kind of you know hit the stride again. So. I think top four is the main one and just see what you can do in the Champions League. Uh, I think the Champions League is going to be really difficult this year because there's really good sides who are, who are in good form as well. But, you know, maybe over over two sets of 90 minutes, Liverpool might have a chance. But saying that, they've got a really difficult tie against uh, against Leipzig, haven't they, coming up? Um, no, it's going to take, it's going to be a tough one to get through, I think. Yeah, so just on those, those numbers since Christmas... Um, some teams have played nine, some teams have played eight, some teams have played ten since Christmas Day. Uh, Liverpool have played nine. As I said, we've picked up nine points. Uh, for a bit of perspective on that, Burnley have also played nine and have picked up ten points. Uh, Everton have played seven and have picked up 11 points. City have also played nine and have picked up 27 points. So, it really is a, a really weird thing since since Christmas, Liverpool. And, you know, we can't forget Liverpool were top on Christmas Day. Um, but mm. since then, Liverpool really have fell off a cliff when it comes to delivering results and stuff. What I will say on this is these are according to Understat. What I will say, Liverpool have picked up nine points since Christmas, but the expected points is about 15.5. So Liverpool have picked up about six and a half points fewer than they should have according to you know expected goals basically that is the biggest underperformance in the league over that same period the only other team that comes close is Wolves Wolves should have picked up about four and a half points more than they actually have over that same period mm. um, and I think what that means really is that despite Liverpool's bad results and stuff I think one thing we can we can still say Liverpool is still, thankfully, a good team. If, if if Liverpool were a bad team, it would it would show up in the numbers. One of the very basic ways to assess whether a team is good or bad is to basically look at the the shots that they're facing and the quality of the shots that they're facing, and look at the shots that they're generating and the quality of the shots that they're generating. And you know, generally, if you're out shooting your opponents by a fair amount in terms of shots and expected goals and stuff like that. That's where you that's where you usually get consistency from. That's where each week you tend to win most games if you're consistently putting those numbers on your side. You know, you're dealing in the realms of probability there a little bit. Mm. Liverpool's numbers in that department have taken a little bit of a hit in recent weeks, but it's it's still very much a case of, you know, Liverpool's expected goal difference per game. Liverpool is still in the green. Liverpool is still, according to stats bombs numbers, the second best performing team in the league when it comes to basically being better than your opponents on the pitch in open play, mainly in, you know, that sort of thing. City by far and away the best. And I think in terms of what this means for the season, Liverpool can't win the league. I don't think Liverpool are going to win the league now. It's it's totally unrealistic you know if City win this game in hand Liverpool are 13 points behind so for me that's gone um, I would set up a top four I do think Liverpool will get it don't think we're in too much trouble in that department just yet and I think in terms of the Champions League it's a difficult one because if you look at Liverpool's current problems they remind me a lot of Manchester City last season in terms of um Seeing all the ball, scoring a fair few goals, which Liverpool aren't doing at the minute at least. But then, I said a few times last season, City just suffer from moments. Just as soon as the team break up the field, City just seemed really vulnerable from um, dominating proceedings for half an hour and then facing a shot and that shot goes in. And they, kept, they kind of kept doing that throughout the season and I think they ended up losing nine games. And when you're that vulnerable to moments when you when you're in a knockout tie whereby you know 
you, you just have to kind of keep every department in check. It's really difficult to progress in in knockout rounds when you know when you when you're that vulnerable to to suffering from complete random moments. And I think I think Liverpool generally have been a, a really good Champions League team because we've we've kept that sort of thing in check. But it's it's going to be really difficult to, to go far in the Champions League unless the two centre-halves that we've bought, or at least one of them, comes in and starts to make quite a notable difference to Liverpool's ability to manage counter-attacks while also breaking down opponents on the opposite side, um, You know, which should allow for Henderson to move into midfield and stuff like that. But I think for Liverpool to do well in the Champions League, they need to start integrating the new centre-backs, but probably particularly Kabach, quite sharpish. Yeah, yeah, and you know that's what I um, I alluded to briefly earlier. That I do think there will be um, you know some sort of regression to the mean. Uh, although those, I, I think those uh, expected points are obviously inflated a little bit by some of the game state. I do think that doesn't still prove that there has just been an, an underperformance of sorts. Uh, I expect when you get like a recognised centre back in there, uh, there's two now that Liverpool can choose from. Um, get one in there, you'll, you'll see improvements. Um, the only reason I touched on Leipzig being a bit of a nightmare matchup is is basically for the reasons you just stated. Uh, in that, you know, they they go from back to front really quickly, and obviously these are the moments that we're saying Liverpool look a little bit vulnerable. And it, uh, I, I can't remember we previewed the game, didn't we? Uh, maybe in November when the draw was made, and and we said it. it, it I can't really remember how we concluded if we said it wasn't a bad draw, if it was if it was okay. If, it may be something along the lines of, yeah, you know, not an easy opponent, but Liverpool tend to do uh, okay against these these kind of sides. And I think that the landscape's changed a lot now, um, so that it will be quite difficult. And and I'm just, I guess, I'm just pointing out that I think up against a, a team like Leipzig, who you know go from back to front really quick. Really vertical. Uh, they, they do have potential to cause Liverpool issues, and um, you know the Champions League is Liverpool's last real chance of a of a major honour this season. Uh, well, it's the last chance of a piece of silverware, isn't it? Because the FA Cup's obviously done and um, League Cup. Uh, so yeah, so it's you know it's it just feels like that's going to be quite a pivotal moment in the season. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. This isn't really supposed to be a Champions League episode just yet. I think that's still to come probably next week, maybe. But I think looking across the board at teams in Europe, there's, there's no real standout team this season apart from arguably Manchester City and probably Atletico Madrid. Mm. But even the likes of Bayern Munich, who, you know, maybe English football fans don't really pay too much attention to German football and stuff. And you look at the table and Bayern Munich are still top and all that. So you just, you know, as expected. But... I don't think Bayern Munich have been anywhere near their usual standards this season. Obviously, Barcelona are suffering and they're a bit all over the place at the minute. Still very much a one-man team. I think Real Madrid are all over the place. Um, PSG, obviously, with Pochettino now trying to find a feet, I suppose. Still obviously got Neymar and Kylian Mbappe there. So I was just about to say, they're my dark horse you know, this year with him there. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't rule it out, but I, think, I don't think City are going to get a better opportunity to do something in the Champions League than this year. Mm. Um, but I think what I think what I'm getting at is Liverpool are weaker, but I think the competition this year in particular is weaker, and I think it's similar to the Premier League. I suppose there's a, there's a bit of a make up there in the Champions League for for kind of anyone to to grab it really. Mm. I don't think Bayern Munich are overwhelming favourites by any means, based on how they've performed this season. You just keep seeing to be doing enough w- without really being such a dominant force. Um, but yeah, just one final word on, on, on Liverpool then. I think, um, you know, what, what's gone wrong? What, what, what is the problem? Because I think, I think initially I felt like the injuries were being overplayed and there was too, there was too much weight getting put on that as the, as the overwhelming problem. Now, I think because of, how things have developed since and some of the media reaction and stuff like that, the commentary around the game and 
and thinks. I, I now think that maybe the injuries are getting underestimated um, to the extent that people are kind of forgetting that Liverpool don't have a centre-half and they don't have any backup for the front three despite the current schedule. Um, and people are kind of looking at it as like, you know, the end of an era with, with Liverpool's current squad and stuff. And, um, you know, the overwhelming changes need to be made and stuff like that. And maybe it's the end for Klopp and all this sort of stuff. But now that these comments are being made, I'm starting to think, hang on a minute, what about the injuries? You know, you were putting everything down to the injuries a couple of months back and now you're just forgetting about them. Yeah, no, I uh, I think there's a middle ground, isn't it? And that's where it is. Uh, I think you can't just you can't just blame everything on the injuries. Um, but you've also got to accept that it is a really big part of, of what's happening. Because um, you lose a big profile, mainly in Van Dyke, but even, you know, Alexa Gomez, uh, Matty, you know, he's a miss. Jota looked like he was going to be a kind of the player that Liverpool needed, the profile to, to kind of fill in for the attack and, you know, create other tactical opportunities, really. You know, going from a an attacking three to an attacking four in different formations, and that's gone as well. So, no, you can't you can't ignore that. Um, but also, I don't think that's that's everything in terms of the, the what's going on. I, I think it's really difficult to pinpoint, Josh. I just think it's a it's such a bizarre season, and there's just been a, a just not the same fluidity in the attack. Um, I don't know if things are different. You know, when you brought Thiago in, obviously Thiago's more of an imposing figure from from the middle. He's meant to be anyway. Uh, I must admit, I don't think we've seen it as best form at all so far. Um, but he's meant to be, you know, obviously more imposing from the middle, which which is maybe, I don't know, upset the balance a little bit in that midfield, not being strictly conservative in, in the way they play. Um, and if it hasn't been working, you know, that more attacking... Emphasis from the middle then to be more reliant on creating from from the wing backs areas and it, that was working so fine in years gone by and now that looks a bit one dimensional. It's 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 maybe something that we need to sit down and spend a few hours on and just trying to crack the codes. But truth is, I imagine Klopp's sitting there in his in his office as we speak now with his staff trying to work it out as well. It's a it's a very bizarre situation. Well, I've been in the same. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when it comes, have you seen that meme where the, the fella's kind of stood there and there's all numbers around his head and he's just, <laughs> that's kind of being made trying to get to the bottom of this because I think you just said it spot on there. It's 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 not just one issue. It's 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 mm-hmm. kind of an accumulation of several things. But, you know, without wanting to come out with excuses, because I think there's been a very, there's been a bit of a debate recently, isn't there, as to what's the difference between an excuse and an explanation sort of thing. Um, but I think I think for me the th- the three main pillars of Liverpool season have kind of been ma- massive injuries mm. in terms of key personnel and stuff, really really bad luck, and I think Liverpool have been. This is going to sound really biased, but I think Liverpool have been on the wrong end of a lot of really crucial VAR moves and stuff like that. Um, and I think if you look at the season as a whole, it has been. Absolutely baffling from a Liverpool perspective. It's it's just been one of them absolutely nuts seasons that doesn't really ever happen. But funnily enough, Klopp seems to average one of these every seven years or so, uh, based on his time at Dortmund and what happened at the end. But um, you know, for Liverpool to go into the season and things happened the way they have, like even Liverpool's summer business thing made a degree of sense. You know, obviously we looked at the the schedule, saw that it was jam packed. And thought, okay, we need back up left back for Rubble to rotate. Um, we need another midfield option. Uh, sorry, another centre back option. So we signed Thiago and dropped Fabinho back into the centre back position. And we need a rotation option for the front three. We bought all of those, but because of the big injuries in centre half, um, Nico Williams hasn't been able to fill in for Trent. Simicas hasn't been able to fill in to, for Rubble because you're already rotating in the centre of defence. You've had midfielders dropping back into the centre defence like Henderson. Then in midfield, Thiago's playing every game despite the fact that um, maybe in, in an ideal world he'll have been given a, a more favourable platform to showcase what, he's, what he does rather than kind of playing playing under pressure when Liverpool desperate for wins and stuff. Mm. The front three clearly playing all the time. 
for the past few years. This was supposed to be the year in which they get rotated a little bit with Joss and stuff. It was happening a little bit, and Liverpool were coping okay with results and things. Mm. As soon as Jota gets injured, the rotation can't really happen. Liverpool's finishing falls off a cliff, so it's been one of them really funny seasons. And you know, I posted a tweet the other day after the City game, putting Liverpool's results against City a little bit down to the two goalkeeper mistakes. And I think someone replied to me saying, you know, something like, "What's it going to take for you to stop putting?" This down to anomalies, um, and I see, I see, I see what the lad means. Mm. But I think, I think what what I'm the reason I'm unwilling to really do that is because uh, Liverpool is still a really well coached, solid performing team, just with a few missing aspects really, and you can still see the the good performances and so many different departments being clearly on point. There's just one or two flaws here and there, one or two failings here and there. And, you know, you're never as far away as you think. And I think Liverpool at the minute are just really close to what they usually are while also being what feels like miles away in a funny way. Mm. So I'll be interested to, interested to see what happens to Liverpool's performances and results and form and all that sort of stuff when, when the two centre-backs come in. See if that does anything to, you know, Liverpool's approach and stuff like that because I am now leaning towards that being a, a big deal, whereas in the past, um, I think people were putting a bit too much weight on it. So I, I do I do appreciate that I'm a little bit all over the place there, but it's just a mad season. I think uh, I think there's a, a perfect term out there for what's happened to Liverpool this year, and it's a perfect storm. Uh, you know, if you if you've used that term, you know what it means. If you don't Google it, uh, but that summarises Liverpool's. Uh, position perfectly, you know. It's a, it's a combination of a few unfavourable circumstances um, resulting in a in a really bad situation, and I think that's that's what's happening with Liverpool at the moment. I mean, hopefully, it will improve immediately because obviously we have Leicester on the weekend. Uh-huh. Uh, in terms of Leicester, uh, thoughts on them, Dave? I think they're currently third in the table. A um, little bit surprised, or. Um, if you would have asked me four months ago, I would have been because uh, I wasn't. I was. I was convinced he was just getting this kind of um, little bit of fortune from seemingly getting all these penalties and uh, kind of things going the way. But to be fair, you know they've they are looking to establish themselves as you know one of the top sides in the Premier League this year. Um, they look good. You know, I thought they were going to struggle without Vardy because because how crucial he is to to leading their attack. But um, you know, based on what I've what I've seen briefly on them, they seem to they seem to be doing really well without him. I think Madison's been probably in the form of his career so far. He's such a threat in terms of creating goals, but also scoring them. And yeah, they look a, they look a real a real sad at the moment. I think it's interesting though, because if if you look at their actual numbers, they, they they look like a really weird team. If I if I was to judge them purely on their performance numbers, they don't look that good. <laughs> um, I'll go through them now, and it remains to be seen how much of this is down to um, you know, how they react maybe when they gain a lead and stuff like that. But so in terms of goals, they're eleventh in the table for goals per match. If you remove penalties. Um, then for expected goals per match, um, excluding penalties again, twelfth, and on the defensive side, ninth. Um, and then if you look at shots, that eleventh in the table for shots per match, and fifth in the table for shots against per match. Those numbers are not a third in the table team. Those numbers mm. are you know in and around. Fifth to tenth, really. So, uh, and they don't they don't really strike me as the type of team to really change when they get a lead, or you know, they don't seem that way. So, I don't know if you got any insight into into why they seem to be. I mean, whenever I watch them, they look good, they look well coached, they seem to get results that coincide with that. But their performance don't don't look particularly threatening. Yeah. 
Uh, and that that was the point I was alluding to early in the season. But um, I guess I'm at that stage now where we've had X amount of games and the the drop off drop off hasn't really arrived, um, which makes me always in these situations lead more to to the fact that they might just be a good team and doing things that aren't necessarily being picked up in the metrics. Um, you know what you'd probably argue is they're not a team who tend to dominate the ball. Uh, have a, you know possession average, you know mid table maybe like seventh eighth. Um, they just seem to be fairly clinical when they when they do you know create chances. A lot of them come on the break. I must say I watched um, something like maybe like the last eight goals or something that they scored purely just watching footage back on White Scouts, and um, a lot of them come from uh, counter pressing. Uh, moments, you know, turning the ball over in good positions and and quickly breaking and scoring off it, um, which I wonder, you know, that could be a, a problem against from a Liverpool point of view this weekend. But yeah, they, they seem to be just really uh, clinical, I guess. You know, it's they don't seem to have a high volume, which traditionally you think doesn't necessarily indicate a, a fantastic side. But, you know, whatever it is, it, it does seem to be working. I'm inclined to think that it's it's less luck and more something that they do and that maybe we're, we're not able to quantify. I mean, they've got good players. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. Which is something that's often overlooked, I think. If you look at they, the way they recruit, I'll, I'll, you know, big fan of it. I think, obviously, they got Wesley Fafana and we've touched on before, good player. He's had to, he's been able to come in despite, uh, you know, Soyuncu's huge injury, Soyuncu's now back. They've got Johnny Evans there as well, James Justin as well, been a great signing. Um, fantasy football god, um, <laughs> and then obviously further forward, as you mentioned, there you got Madison, who seems to be playing a little bit of a of a more attacking type De Bruyne maybe role rather than Lincoln play a little bit deeper, and obviously Harvey Barnes, who as uh, seems to have made uh, the leap this season in terms of you know kind of stepping up his game, and I think when Liverpool were were after Jota, funnily enough. I think I'm pretty sure Harvey Barnes was on the shortlist in terms of being a comparable player that Liverpool could have took and his output would have been scalable, able to kind of take a bit of a boost at Anfield and stuff. And he'd be able to blend in with a group of better players and, and basically become something more, maybe like I said, the Omani did. But I think specifically Barnes, I'm, I am a huge fan of. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's extremely um, direct, quite unpredictable, fast. He's a... Uh... And obviously the position he plays, it's it's not really the ideal um, matchup, is it for for Liverpool this weekend? Um, considering who who he'll be who he'll be up against and, and the skill set he kind of has, I think he's going to cause problems. Well, whenever I've watched him, every single player that he's come up against in in a direct one v one, and that you know he obviously plays on the left, so whatever right back he's come up against. I haven't seen a single player get the better of him. I've seen him win pretty much every battle he's he's come up against. Um, I distinctly remember watching him against Everton actually, Dave, and I think he had he had Mason Holgate on toast a few times. Yeah. Um, he, he, I think he had uh, even the likes of Kyle Walker. I think was struggling with him, and he's he's really really direct, as you say, up for the battle. I think I read something on him from um, Rogers. Um, and I think Rogers said that Hamza Chowdhury, who came through the the academy with him, said that he's the type to, whenever he gets angry, he's one of them who plays better with with anger when he's wound up. He plays you better. You know what? I was just about to say, but I was waiting till you finished because I didn't want to cut you off. I was about to say what I think is really impressive about his skill set is he's an extremely aggressive attacker. Um, and that was before even the point you've just made about him being angry. I think he's just, you know the way like Suarez at Liverpool, if he got the bit between his teeth, he'd just be so like difficult to get off the ball and so really like, uh, just so committed and really difficult to dislodge. Um, you know, it, almost this mindset of, I'm going to win this 1v1 duel here. Uh, it feels like Barnes has got a little bit of that in his locker. Um so you saying that kind of ties in, ties in well with that. 
Yeah, he said Chowdhury specifically said that, you know, coming through the academy and stuff like that. He said he's always been the type to when he's getting wound up or when he's got like, you know, as you said, the bit between the teeth, mm. he tends to play better than you, you know, you do get them players. I think Wayne Rooney comes to mind as a player who's like that. Yeah. Um, just just players who kind of once they get that us against the world type vibe about them, they end up basically playing better than I think considering he gets the best of most opponents coming up against Trent, who you could argue is, is, is his biggest strength is not on the defensive side. And he's just had a bit of a tough battle a few days ago, you know, with Raheem Sterling. That's going to be a tricky one. And it, it's one that, funnily enough, if you was to bring in the new centre-backs, you can then move Henderson to the right of midfield to kind of double up on Barnes and help Trent out and stuff like that, which I think he's maybe had a little bit less of with Thiago in that same position. So it's a change that maybe Klopp will consider. But um, I think he's a, he's a threat that you've obviously got to cater for in this game. Alongside, obviously, Jamie Vardy, who seems to be fit again. Um, oh, I think the that. last game, yeah, I think the last game he was he was fit again, but started on the bench. This is obviously going to be a few days in between, so I'd expect them. I'm expecting them at least, you know, to to start against Liverpool, which again doesn't bode well for what we were mentioning before in terms of Liverpool suffering from random moments every now and then. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's not ideal because he's, you know, we know what Vardy is. He's, he's, he's clinical and he's, he's just a pest. So it, that'll be tough. I think it's worth flagging, by the way, that Leicester have got an FA Cup game before the, the weekend, whereas um, Liverpool obviously have got a full break, really. So... Uh, it's against Brighton as well, which means they probably couldn't get away with just putting out. Um, I mean, they probably will still put a, a rotated side, but um, it won't be a, a case of a, a pure second string. So, you know, that could that could play into the hands of, of Liverpool a little bit. Um, as is the fact that I think, you know, uh, one Leicester's record against Liverpool isn't that great. I think eight games without a win now, stretching four years. Um, and two... Maybe you're better equipped to speak about this point, Josh, but it does feel like Rodgers uh, has a tendency to over overthink this fixture sometimes, or um, just doesn't. It, it doesn't seem to always go Leicester's way, since, especially since he's come in there. Then I wonder if it's. It always felt like David Moyes against Devon was a really big fixture for them, um, and it, it, his record was was never great. And it took him a while to finally get the first win and. I don't know if that starts coming into the psyche of a manager like Rodgers when you when you're coming up against Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, I think I, th- I actually think quietly, I, I very much doubt he'd admit this, but I think he's he's learned quite a lot from Klopp. Rodgers, I think, looking at how Klopp has managed Liverpool since he left, I think he's naturally looked over at what Klopp's done with with intrigue, basically. And I think certain areas in which Klopp has Klopp's mastered certain areas, and I think in in some of those areas, Rodgers really fell short. Like I think, for example, since Rodgers left, Liverpool's recruitment has been absolutely flawless. And while Rodgers was there, Rodgers was trying to have too much of a say, basically on incoming players. Obviously, Rodgers wanted Christian Benteke. Rodgers wanted. Adam Lallana, who, you know, absolutely fine, but Liverpool have since signed better players who are going to deliver more points, basically. And I think Rodgers has since learned that, you know, being a leader in the club is is just as much about allowing others to do their job really well as much as knowing everything yourself and kind of wanting to be that man to do it all, basically, which Rogers doesn't have to be. And I think he's mm. since allowed recruitment departments to basically do their jobs. And in addition to that, just a few of the comments Rogers has made to do with team styles and styles of play and stuff like that. I, I think specifically this season, Leicester seem a lot more adaptable based on what they need from the game. Like I think the Rogers of the past will have, for example, went into a game with Leeds, trying to dominate the ball. Early in the season, he went into mm. that same game with Leeds, but basically 
willingly accepted we're going to play on the break here because Leeds are a little bit daft in terms of how many men they commit forward. And Leicester just done them on the break and I think they end up winning about 4-1. Mm. And Rogers has mentioned a few times, a few of his quotes. I can't remember them offhand, but just some of them have been specifically on adapting based on the game. I mean, you can, you can still be... I think it takes me back to that Linders quote whereby he said Liverpool are able to change colours and stuff like that, but at the end of the day, Liverpool still know that that it's that they're a chameleon, but a chameleon can change colours. Mm. I think Rogers has taken a little bit of that on board. Um, in the past, I've mentioned that this is a, a perfect fixture for Liverpool. I think I said it last season ahead of Liverpool going there, and I think Liverpool maybe won three or four nil. Was it when when Trent scored? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it was straight after the Club World Cup, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think this things have changed a little bit since then. Obviously, Liverpool aren't the same team because of the adjustments that have had to be made. And I think, as I said, Leicester have become a little bit more adaptable and stuff. So I don't think it'll be as comfortable as that. But I still think, I still think Liverpool have a bit of a hold over this team. I think quietly, Klopp has a little bit of a hold over Rodgers as well. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's that's basically the point I was um, hitting at before. I, I have to agree. Whether I'll be uh, maintaining that when it comes to predictions, uh, I don't know. But I think you know history does speak for itself, and these things do come into play. And yeah, I uh, I do think there's some, just something there between the two, which is often the case when when managers come up against old clubs. Um, but you know they'll be desperate to desperate to win, Monty. So. We'll uh, we'll have to see. Well, you might as well go there now. It's getting. I'm not. I'm not far from absolutely removing these predictions for the rest of the season and restarting next season because this season it's just it's almost impossible to predict uh-huh. what's going to happen. It's really hard. You don't know the team every week. Um, you don't know whether people are going to be on it. Whether what other teams. So it's just a difficult one. But we'll we'll stick with them for the meantime. Um, Dave, what are your thoughts on this one? I'm not gonna back at um I'm not gonna back a Liverpool win because I keep getting egg on my face, but I'm also not gonna back them to lose. Um uh, I'm ex- maybe I'm gonna go for a bit of an open game, uh where you know Leicester maybe present them with with some space uh, to be punished. I'm gonna go two all just for okay. some entertainment. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think this one's again tricky. I don't know if Liverpool are going to start the new centre backs or not. But you know, looking at Leicester's attack, it you know based on the numbers that I mentioned before and stuff, they, they don't have that much of an attack in terms of generating shots at least. Mm. And Liverpool tend to be good at preventing shots from being generated. So, but but then there's those moments that Liverpool keep suffering from, whether it be from a set piece or giving away a penalty or getting done on one counter-attack. And they have probably the best counter-attack and play in the league in Jamie Vardy. Mm. But I do feel, despite what's going on, despite Liverpool being the 14th best team since Christmas, I, I, I do feel like, I do feel a, a bit confident with this one. I feel okay. So I'm going to go... Um. I don't know what I'm going to go, but I think I'm going to go Liverpool. <laughs> I'm going to go with Liverpool win. I think Liverpool will win this, but it's difficult to go with the score. I'm going to say 2-1, I think. Um, but I wouldn't rule out a clean sheet in this one. Mm. Uh, just because I don't think Leicester's attack is, is what people think it is. But yeah, I'm going to go with 2-1, but I don't really think it'll be too much of a slog. I think Liverpool will enjoy this game more than a lot of other games since mm. since Christmas. Um, yeah. Hopefully, we'll see one of the new centre halves get a game because I think it's, I think it's time. Um, but yeah, Dave, thanks for joining us, mate. Cheers, mate. And uh, we will be back next week to hopefully preview better times. <laughs> so um, yeah, one little note I'll just add on at the end: sign up to the Analyze Nanfield newsletter because last week. We got a fair few sign-ups. Obviously, it was on Harvey Elliott at the time. Harvey Elliott's time is form at the minute for Blackburn, and I obviously posted the the links at the bottom as well for Dave's piece on Ben Davis, my piece on Kabach. So if you want to keep updated, 
you know, sign up for that. If you're watching this on YouTube, there will be a link attached to the video somewhere. So make sure you sign up. Uh, but thanks for joining us anyway, and we'll be back next week. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.